Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week we give you the best news, views and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians. The companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost. Each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the leaders, clinicians, CEOs and founders who are changing the face of the healthcare industry in the UK and beyond. Uh, as regular listeners know, I'm a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself called PocDoc, who partner the show. They, 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 their support makes the show happen. So thank you very much to PocDoc. Um, also, just before we get into it, As always, I'd like to thank everyone listening live. So we're up over 60,000 people listening live to each show, which is amazing. And will be more. There's some exciting news coming down the pipe about UK Health Radio, which I can't share yet because my producer will kill me. But it's very, very exciting. So we'll, you know, in the run up to Christmas, there'll be some big announcements. I'd also like to say thank you to everyone listening or watching on YouTube. Um, We're now well over a thousand subscribers to that channel. Um, We're across Spotify, Apple, Amazon and Google Podcasts as well. So thank you to everyone for listening. I also want to just give ourselves a little pat on the back because we've been we've been nominated for our first award. So we've been nominated for the media platform of the year at the MedTech Awards, the MedTech World Awards taking place in Malta. Now, when we started the podcast or we started the show, I never even thought that we'd like, you know, be in the in the like get close to getting an award. So even being nominated is is fantastic. And thank you very much for everyone for making that making that happen. Um, so today's guest. Uh, Amanda Lambert, who's the Chief Customer Officer for Nuffield Health. She's been in the health industry for 19 years. And um, Nuffield Health, as I'm sure everyone listening, they, that will be a, a name that is immediately recognisable to everybody from high streets all around the, all around the UK. Um, they are the UK's largest healthcare charity. I didn't. We're going to get into that because I actually didn't know they were a charity until I started planning this show, which I don't know is like a good point because I actually planned the show and found out they're a charity or... You know, I don't know whether it's the best kept secret um, of the company, but we'll find out. So Amanda is 100 percent focused on improving the experience of Nuffield Health's patients, members and people. Um, Amanda, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm OK. Thank you for having me on the show. Just OK or like doing, you know, like I'm doing we're well. hanging in there. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, not, I'm more than hanging in there. Don't worry. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> good. All right. So first of all, it's great to have you on the show. I think that it's as we talked about before just before the show went live. It's a really interesting time to get someone from uh, an organization like Nuffield Health on the show. Um, obviously, without trying to like doom-monger the whole thing, there's a lot of kind of macro trends out there at the moment around healthcare, access to healthcare, backlogs, waiting lists, you know, people getting less healthy, so on and so forth. And I think from what I understand, um, well, my own sort of understanding of Nuffield as a kind of a consumer or a, or a you know, potential patient or customer was very different to when I started to kind of look into it, um, you know, as a sort of trying to research the show. So um, let, why don't we start with the, the charity aspect? Let's just yeah. start there. So why don't you walk us through like what, what, why is it a charity? Where did that come from? And, you know, like why is that kind of important to, as, as part of what Nuffield do? 
Well, we've, we've always been a charity, actually. We've been around for 65 years, so we're a long-established charity. And we are what is described as a trading charity. So, yes, we do provide services that people pay for, which is perhaps what people know us for. But actually, we have a strong charitable purpose that everything we do is around building a healthier nation. And we reinvest. We don't have shareholders. So the great news is not having shareholders means we can reinvest all our money back, not just in the services we provide that are paid for, but also in a ton of services that reach those who need it most but can't normally access it. So we have goals around reach representation. Um, that mean we focus on getting to those living with low resources who don't normally access healthcare or can't access it. Uh, but also we've created a measure called the social return on investment measure that okay. we've done externally with an external academic body. And that makes sure that we measure the good we do from helping build a healthier nation, which is our charitable purpose. So that enables us to check that anything we do that's free of charge, we measure, we count, so that we're always providing public benefit. Okay. So like when the charity was set up 65 years ago, which is not an insignificant chunk of time, you yeah. know, the world was a very different place 65 years ago. Yeah. What, what was it? Was it, it can't have been set up the way, I mean, there, there's been no. so much change. Like, what, what, yeah, how, you're going to test original? my knowledge now, Steve. Well, you know, I wasn't around then. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't suggesting you would have first-hand knowledge. It was more, maybe there's some, you know, info well, passed down. Actually, Lord Nuffield started it. And I think if back then it was actually more of a care home trust type approach. Okay. So it has evolved. It's always been in the healthcare space, but it has evolved um, to what it is today. And actually, we're today we've evolved even more over the last five to ten years. So most people know us as either a private hospital group or a fitness and well-being gyms. Yeah. They interact with us. What people probably don't know is actually we are both, and even we're more than that. So we're about providing the whole health um, and providing all services that relate to that. So we look after the whole you. Uh, that is from preventative maintenance, keeping fit in the gym is obviously good for your health and well-being, yeah. uh, as well as then prehab, prior to operations, operations, rehabilitation. So we've got services that go from obviously the hospitals and the fitness and well-being centres, but also we provide physio services, mental health services, health assessments we can get checked every year to, mm. to understand your, I suppose, some, some tests around your bloods, etc., some things you'd be familiar with, all of which help people keep healthier. And then in addition to that, a reference, we do things free of charge. We have a number of programs that we provide into the community and we target trying to reach those who wouldn't normally get access to those services. So we've got things like COVID rehab program, joint rehab program, trying to really target those needs that aren't met in society. Okay. That's a hell of a lot of stuff to be getting on with, to be really quite honest is, yeah. with you. That's quite a lot of stuff. And I also read a story, part of the research, that you guys actually build hospitals or are building yeah, we do, hospitals yeah. like, we, we, as well. Got, I mean, that's, that's quite yeah. a big task. We, we, we've got 37 hospitals, um, some of which we've acquired. Uh, but actually, more recently, we built our, own, our hospital from scratch at Bath. So we right. have built the private hospital that is linked to the NHS Trust literally built from scratch it's actually got some amazing stories related to it because where it was built is actually on the line of where the london fire ended so when oh, they were wow. building they they found you know evidence of where the soot line ended um wow. so quite a lot of history that was uncovered as we went through that i did to loads of building problems as you can imagine uh, <laughs> yeah. but actually lots of really yeah good heritage and working closely with the trust is, now it, open. is that stuff going to be featured in like a tv special you know like well, they did when we, they did the, the, the london crossrail <laughs> Well, we did tours um, 
while we were waiting to open because obviously imagine opening a hospital isn't just the physical building of it you then have to go for all the accreditation to get opened yeah. so we were taking some of the private medical insurers around and one of the guys i'm sure he should get a job doing tours because he could tell you the history of every element of london that went around right the building next to it was actually the building that sherlock holmes tv program was filmed on when the Sherlock Holmes jumped off the top of the building. Oh, what, when yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch jumped yeah. off and faked his death? Yeah. Okay. So well, there's that... like loads of, loads of stats that we can definitely put into a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, do you know what? It'll be, a, it'll be great for like visitors to the hospital, you know what I mean? They, yeah. They've got a lot to go around and learn about while they're like waiting. Exactly. Yeah, we've got lots of images on the walls of the, the London fire and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's good. And so like, just to to kind of touch on your role a little bit and then we can circle back around to some of the themes that you talked about because I'm really interested in what you do in the community and the prevention and that obviously crosses over with what we do at PopDoc and, and, and other things but what what ha- what is a chief customer officer and what is what's under your your <laughs> empire you know your empire of improving people's experience and what is kind of not in that empire yeah I mean, actually, Chief Customer Officer probably doesn't do it justice. So I probably do need to correct my way. I haven't been in healthcare for 19 years. I've actually only been in healthcare since last April. Um, Ah. Prior to that, I was in mobile telecom. So I actually come from a very consumer-facing background, uh, which we'll touch on because obviously digital technology is key to what we're trying to do. And telco has obviously been through that journey before. Uh, But in in my remit, it's broader than just customer. But I look after all of our customer propositions and offerings, uh, the what services we offer and where we offer them, the customer experience, uh, the trading performance, so how all the service lines perform, all our sales and commercial relationships. So people wow. like the so, it, it, so, so it comes up as like a commercial piece as well, right? Yeah, not, completely. Okay. Yeah, the okay. NHS relationship, making sure that we, we've got the right strategy for that. And then all the way through the whole of the technology team. Right. And the bit that might now sound a bit odd on to customer is the people team. Uh, and okay. it's actually because we believe that obviously our product is our people at the end of the day. Right. Uh, so really connecting the people and customer together, making sure we create a great internal experience that then also delivers a great external experience. That's that's quite a that's quite a remit. That's quite, oh, yeah. that's quite a lot <laughs> under, under that one for sure. Um so what what brought you across into healthcare? I've always been passionate. So actually on a personal level, I uh, was when I was looking for a new role, I was looking to join something that had a sense of purpose. So being a charity was a big part of why I joined. Uh, okay. Feeling like you're doing something good for the society you live in was important to me. Right. Obviously, you don't have to be a charity to do that, but I think it helps so you know you're not just making shareholders richer. In fact, I think mm-hmm. my sister said to me, stop working making rich men richer so I think that's a, a good little piece of advice um, so I, I joined because of that but also really passionate about well-being and actually I'll share a personal story that um, my mum actually had open heart surgery about five years ago okay. and she's very healthy and fit and as a result was able to deal with the surgery brilliantly respond and recover uh, if she had not been healthy and fit and had been invested in her health and well-being that would never have happened and right. I, I could share the same it's a genetic condition I could have the same okay. genetic conditions. So I believe I believe a lot in the whole health and well-being focus and have driven that. I think I mentioned to you earlier, my previous life, I was a, a chief people officer for a period and really drove a wellness agenda in the organisation that I was doing that role for. So yeah. it's a passion, personally. I believe in it and I really want to work in an organisation that was making a difference. Cool. That, I mean, well, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we started PopDoc. So I completely, completely yeah. um, vibe with that one. What... Um, 
so let's go back to this charity piece for a second. What, what do you, having worked at, like you said, in, in, in tel- telecommunications, which I'm guessing was like a public company, probably quite large, you know, maybe not a public company, but big, privately old, owned, privately owned yeah. big old consumer, <laughs> you know, corporate company. What, and the, the fact that Nuffield is a charity, but there are other healthcare organisations that are obviously not charities, even in the same space as Nuffield. How does that charity status kind of express itself as a point of difference, either at the patient level, the customer level? Like, how, you know, you, if you've got some case studies or stories, that'd be super interesting because I do think it is really unique. Yeah, it is. And let's start with it drives us internally. So um, and I'll compare it to the previous organisation I worked for. Commercial organisations try and seek to have a purpose that they can get all their employees galvanised around. Yeah. And honestly, when you're just making rich people richer, it's difficult to create a purpose that can have a lot of meaning for people. Right. But we are privileged, I think, in the field that we have an amazing purpose that is believable because it's about creating and building a healthier nation. So everything we do is aligned to that purpose. And so the whole organisation knows that its job there is to build a healthy nation in everything we do. Now, sometimes that might be through paid-for services, but absolutely front and centre is how we're making it achieve our purpose. But of course, we all know that there's all the community aspects that we do as well. And we know that every penny we raise is about reinvesting in what we do rather than going to shareholders. So it drives yeah. us very strongly internally. Now, interestingly, we don't use it, which is why it probably is the best kept secret. We don't use it externally because we don't really want to trade off it. Like we yeah. we want it to be what we're about and we're doing it for the right reason. Well, yeah, um, I, think it, I think it also is like, you are a charity, but I do think that like you, the the more you trade off of it, the more you put yourself at risk of all of the kind of yeah. misunderstandings about like, well, if you're a charity, why are you charging me twenty quid a month from a from a exactly. gym day? You know, and it yeah. just just kind of creates a lot of a lot of opportunities for people to be you're, critical. You're, you're so right. And actually, we did some research um, recently just to check that we weren't missing something that we should be doing. And the research is exactly what you just described. It's like. If you choose to donate to a charity, you kind of know what's happening with your money. Yeah. Uh, you know you're, you're making that choice. For you. You're right. You enter into a different territory and people actually care about what it means to them. So people yeah. told us, don't tell us you won. Just show us you won by doing what you do, which is what yeah. we do. And I think that the, what's really interesting about w- once you understand that it's a charity, it kind of that broad church of services makes sense because you're trying to un- you're trying to support people across the whole of the wellness journey or health journey right like you said about your mum you know yes you can provide private hospitals that can do surgery for people that are sick but why not also then try and stop people getting sick and provide those services now they might not necessarily be as financially lucrative or whatever but you're not in it for the profit so actually being able to provide people but actually did you think it creates a kind of a freedom for you guys to do what the right thing is as opposed to necessarily the financially most prudent Compared to where I've come from, 100%, it definitely enables you to do what's right for the organisation, to make the right choices. We always say there's no one telling us what to do. This is our choice. So, like, right. you know, make the right choices. And, and what you've described is exactly the strategy. We we call it connected health, but we're trying to connect all the elements um, of your health journey so that all the services basically give you better health outcomes. And let's face it, if we're successful in our goal, our purpose for building a healthier nation, in theory, people should need less hospital procedures. So we're not doing but, it I, I mean, to no drive got, our own profit. <laughs> I'm pretty confident. Well, I mean, 
this is a massive generalization, but no one got less healthy by going to the gym and doing exercise. No, exactly. Well, although, you know, there's edge cases, right? There's like, oh, I lifted the weight and I got injured or like, yeah. you know, whatever. But but just like broadly speaking in the, in the you know, that it's it's generally net positive. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what we're trying to do is is really join all of it together um, and also make it more easy to access. So uh, which probably brings us a little bit into some of the tech stuff. I think one of the things that has probably stood out for me when you come in from outside the sector is healthcare is quite complicated for yeah. the patient. Um, yeah. Navigating, again, my parents, if I use my dad's got all sorts of ailments going on, it's quite overwhelming. And particularly because people do tend to get a bit older when they hit a lot of these issues. Yeah. You're feeling vulnerable, you're feeling scared about what's going on, and then you're trying to navigate what is, let's face it, a pretty complex system um, of consultants, GPs, providers, yeah. insurance if you are going private. So what our goal is really, well, one of our goals is to try and make it easier for people to access things by simplifying it. And, making and, how, and how's, how's that kind of manifesting itself or has manifested? Oh, we're, we're, I would say we're, we're on our journey. I don't think anyone's mastered that completely. If I was able to sit here and say that, then I think we would be probably world famous because if you listen to any healthcare, um, I suppose, expert or people working in the sector, everyone talks about what we need to do and we're all on that journey to doing it. Yeah, of course. But the way we're approaching it is definitely starting with the customer experience. So mm-hmm. what is it that customers need by identifying the journeys that they go through for the different elements of how they interact with us? And then using technology to help with that. We actually, probably a big shift for me was I've always come from a sector where you talk about a digital first strategy. So coming yeah. in, got a digital background. I was like, we should have a digital first strategy. Very quickly, I realized that, that that's not right because all healthcare is provided by humans. So actually, yeah. we are human first. We describe yeah. it, but digitally enabled is the yeah. approach we're taking. So yeah. we really are looking at how we can use technology to. I suppose to change a number of different things. First of all, making the experience better, so making it easy when you want to contact us to have digital tools available to do that. So we've just been launching online bookings for consultant appointments, yeah. uh, online gym classes, bookings. We're wading our way through all our service lines to make them available online to book. Um, but very much about that simplification, making it easy, giving me choices about how I can access things with you. Um, yeah. Them, I love I, I love I love that, which is like I'm guessing for you coming from the background, you know. So, but, but I mean, my my background prior to this was basically VC back tech. So, I right. similar kind of you know fair, a fair way back, longer than a year, but still the the idea that like an online booking system would would be something that would have to be implemented yes. is is you know is. <laughs> but the, but is I think that's so true in healthcare. If you found that yourself, that the as a sector when you first joined that it's probably quite far behind other sectors in terms of adoption? Well, I think it's like, I think for me, the, it's so complex that, that, that there's so many complexities around the provision of healthcare because it's so, each problem is completely unique to each person and, 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 there's, and there's so much risk in the system that has to be managed yeah. around the provision of that healthcare that it's very, very, very hard to allow anything to kind of, and virtually impossible to allow anything to kind of to test and iterate and test and iterate it's really 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 hard and so it's completely understandable that people rely on tried and tested methods and moving away from the incumbent is is a big deal so whenever people say like oh you know what's the biggest competition it's like what's the incumbent 
Like it, there is that's that's anyone's biggest competition in healthcare is the incumbent, which is the way it's currently being done predominantly yeah, yeah. with the NHS. So I think it's like there's also fragmentation and there's issues around funding and all these other things that make it just a very in the UK at least a very complicated picture as to around the adoption. Um, I do think the NHS has done what it can do. You know, there's been digital accelerators and the National Innovation Accelerator and the Clinical Fellowship and you know stuff like that which is all like all well and good and, and, and shows that they're very, very keen. But like, you know, it's I, so we were on the NHS, Doc was on the NHS Digital Accelerator, which is, you know, they identify health tech that they want to fast track into the system. And on the same cohort that we were on was an online booking system for GPs. You're like, that, I mean, sure. Like the no one's not, it was a great, they're great, it's great business. Like, of course, online booking, like what, I mean, what do we, of course, book online? That's a great idea. Yeah. Let's do that, shall we? Yeah, it is quite amazing. So, and you're right. There are times where if I felt like to rewind a few years to be proud to say we'd have launched online booking would be a bit like, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think it is quite breakthrough. It's, it's complicated. Like, it's so It's not a breakthrough idea, but you're right. Because even online bookings for consultants, it's not simple because they have medical secretaries, there's GP yeah. referrals. Yeah. There's private medical uh, there, there, well, there, And there has to be a paper trail. And, they, and there's yeah. no point seeing a consultant until you've had test A, B, and C done. And if you've not yeah. had A, B, and C done, there's no point having the appointment. So, And they also, they want all the information shared. So it's really, really not not easy at all. No, um, but it's hard really work for the user, though, don't you think? So I always think oh, that you're, you're doing all the work. You're doing yeah. all the work, but you have none of the access to your information as well because they all the information is kept with the healthcare practitioners and providers, but you're the one who does all the leg work, ring up these people, ring up those people, chase for that appointment, and then try yeah. to connect it all up yourself as well. So it's hard. Our, our vision yeah. is how do we solve that? Now, just like any tech solution, that's not going to be overnight. It's going to be iterative. We're going to keep adding to it, but we are definitely, we've kind of, we've um, been really working on how we transform the technology team, actually, because that was obviously a key start point is that we were delivering thing in big everything in big programs and of course yeah. therefore it was taking a really long time to deliver so yeah. we literally just finished reorganizing to move to a, a proper agile way of working Sprint. yeah setting up squads yeah. so that they're aligned to outcomes and yeah. we think that will free up the tech team although a bit scary for them because it's a new way of working uh, we yeah. think it will free them up and they'll be more connected to the people in the organization that they're supporting rather than kind of tucked away in the technology yeah, I mean, the, the impression that I, so when it, so we're a medical device developer and obviously we've got our lateral flow, but it works with an app. And then we've built a cloud-based diagnostics platform that we can integrate directly up with electronic health records and all that kind of good stuff. So it's a real sort of full system. And, um, you know, whenever you develop a medical device, you start with user requirements, which in software land are called user stories, right? And so yeah. you go user requirements, but it's like laid down in law. Like that's how, now not everyone does it that way, obviously, but like, you know that you go user requirements design requirements verification validation acceptance criteria like it's all you know and then that just flows into your development which is i love that i think it's just exactly the way to go as opposed to these because that means that you're in order to draft your user requirements you have to be intimately connected with what your customers yeah. users that what, what you know whether they're internal or external whatever how they want it to be before you even kind of put the shovel in the ground yeah, completely. So we, we talk about becoming more beneficiary-led. So we, I should also explain, we don't call our customers customers. We do interchange. We call okay. them beneficiaries because we actually provide to payors, like people who are paying the bills, like the employer, the private medical insurers, 
Um, but we also provide, obviously, to people paying directly. And yeah. the, the person who uses our services is the person who benefits from them. We also provide yeah. services to people who don't pay. And therefore, right. we have we call them beneficiaries because they are the people who benefit from everything we do. That makes sense. So, yeah. okay. So my producer is giving me the hurry up sign because we have to go to a commercial break. So we will be back in two minutes with Amanda Lambert, the Chief Customer Officer of Nuffield Health. We'll be back in two minutes. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at Alka-Cells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. Alka-Cells, part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alka-Cells, life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Bruce, and Amanda Lambert, who's the Chief Customer Officer of Nuffield Health. So, uh, Amanda, what I'd like to talk about now, just to switch it up a little bit, is let's talk about how Nuffield and the NHS interact, right? Because I think that there's... Obvi- um, clearly, obviously, there's like a media kind of angle where they kick private healthcare, you know, as much as they can. And like, there's like a this kind of concept of it's like the NHS versus private, which I obviously I know is kind of ridiculous. But like, what what you know? Ha- obviously, you work with the NHS probably extensively, I imagine. But like, yeah. why don't you tell us how it actually is, as opposed to what generally is sort of thrown around <laughs> in the media? So we do work closely with the NHS. And actually, before I joined the charity during COVID, um, the charity played a massive role in supporting the NHS when the NHS were taken over by COVID patients. So we we took on cancer patients for them and and really provided a real backup service. So uh, I think there's a good relationship. We we provide, I suppose, a number of different areas, predominantly elective recovery or elective care operations. So um, we work closely with trusts. If they need more capacity in certain areas and certain fields, then we have the availability and we provide that to them. And so just part- so just just to pick up on that. So what that means is basically there's a backlog or whatever. There's patients yeah. waiting for what is an elective knee surgery count as elective or what's yeah, elective? Do, yeah. Knees, hips, stuff yes. like that. What that means is Nuffield, because you have hospitals, because you have surgeons, because you have clinicians, you can come in and actually take those patients so they'd be yeah, treated exactly. earlier. Then, yeah. okay. So we've been and working that's... with all, all right. the trusts on helping them bring down their, their wait lists over the last two years. So it's a pretty symbiotic, that sounds pretty symbiotic to me, yeah. right? It is. Obviously, it's very local, so it does vary locally depending on the need, the availability. So 
Um, they will work with all providers in the same way. Uh, and yeah, we provide it, I think, provide a good overflow service, particularly to helping with the backlog. What we're also starting to do, though, and actually we talked earlier about our some of our what we call our flagship programs, which are our free of charge services. We also provide those to the trust. So working with over 20 NHS trusts, we actually provide our COVID rehab program, uh, okay. which we developed off the back of COVID. People really struggling with the long term effects. Uh, so in the 60 of our fitness and wellbeing centres, we provide that. Over okay. 4,000 people have benefited from it already. Wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. And so we do that. We're also um, just starting to launch other services uh, as well through them. So ideally, like we, like we talked earlier, we provide an end to end everything to do with your whole health. So we would love to expand and do more to support the NHS so, from prevention so, right through to rehabilitation. So why why do you think, and I'm genuinely curious, why, why do you think that there's this, well, I say constant, but like repetitive um, sort of trying to, artificial antagonism that people try and create in the media, which is like private stuff kills the NHS. Like why, why is there, why is there sort of this sort of artificial antagonism where actually it seems like you're just sort of all in the same fight together, arguably. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I don't really understand why people do think like that. Do you think there's more people on the wait list than one hospital or one trust in they can deal with in their area? It's crazy to not work together as a combined set of facilities that provide the services to society. It's weird that you kind of get pitched against each other's competition. But for me, it doesn't make sense. We're all here to try and help the people that we serve um, yeah. and do that in the best way. So, yeah, I personally don't don't get it. I think it's way more to do with politics than it is to do with the reality. Well, I mean, obviously, the NHS, I, like, I always love it when like politicians talk about the NHS. And, like, you know, like it's like one thing, you know, and it's yeah. like it's not. It's, this it's so local. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And like, uh, you know, um, so no, I, I just I, I think it's sort of interesting because during the pandemic and then post-pandemic with the backlog like you said you know I think that there's and from from speaking to lots of people on the show and off the show as, as just generally being out and about meeting people you know I, it does seem like it's moving more towards a kind of a spectrum approach as opposed to a kind of a binary so obviously you've got NHS on one side and then you've got pure you know private customers paying a private medical insurer and coming that way and, and there's sort of like a spectrum in, in between yeah, where it's is. just about treating people and looking after people and it doesn't necessarily matter whether it's in hospital a or hospital b or rehab yeah. center x or wherever right or where they start their journey so i think what we're seeing for a lot of people is that they might start um with private for diagnostics because they the wait time to get diagnosed so we, we definitely see people using the diagnostic services paying for them themselves in reality they're not doing it under private medical insurance right. and then some of those once they get diagnosed will skip back into to the NHS and again I feel like I'm using my parents loads here but they're of that age where lots of things <laughs> go on you know my mum and dad probably have always come from an era of the NHS they've never had private medical insurance they're working class people uh, mm. but actually my dad needed a hernia operation it wasn't really going to be done on the NHS or would take too long he decided to use the savings to pay for it but then anything serious he goes back to the NHS and carries on through that system I think people are using it in a way where actually do you know what I can afford to do it and this is the right thing for me. Um, and even that then relieves pressure on the NHS because it's moving him from their system 
uh, in terms of a quite a, a, a well, that, standard operation. So, I, so, so that's a really sensitive one, isn't it? And I'm, look, I'm not going to, I don't want to like hold your feet to the fire because <laughs> I know it's a really sensitive one. And obviously it's sensitive because of the NHS free at the point of care and, and all of that amazing stuff that is amazing about the NHS. But there is a, there is a kind of an area where like this area of like, if you, if you have the ability to, 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 to seek private treatment for something, it then does remove you from the NHS waiting list, which I think is something that I haven't seen any politician even come close to talking about or tackling, because I assume it's just such a sensitive thing to even yeah. sort of go down the route of. Um, but I do think it's sort of sort of interesting, you know. It is. Yeah, no, obviously, I was talking specifically about my dad. I think he'd have been sat there for years waiting because it wasn't deemed an urgent operation. So he'd have just been sat in that system. So for him, it definitely worked. And I think people are making the choices that are right for them where they can afford to. Uh, right. But yeah, other than that, we obviously continue to support and provide the services directly to those who can't. And as a result, we have seen a lot more people access services with us who wouldn't normally because we've been working so closely with the NHS. And what's your kind of view around, you know, digital health propositions that sort of increase access, PopDoc being an example in cholesterol cardiovascular testing or other things like is it is it what you said before, which is around where it makes sense? Yes, just implemented in a sensible way, or or anything else? Yeah, so I think you know uh, it's easy because obviously coming in, so I, I do come from a digital background, but in telco is digitalize everything, yeah. <laughs> and you realise you, you you can't do that. So it's definitely about selecting the things that people want to to have. I suppose have better ease of access to. So a few things we've done are things like triage digitally because. That does enable the front end of the process to work more quickly. It's actually how people want to access it. Um, we've seen things in fitness and well-being actually that were taken off, and particularly content. We're finding that I suppose again, you know, the access to health information is not universal to people, and so being able to provide content that is easily digestible, understandable, because uh, again, I think that's the other thing about healthcare is it can be quite complex to understand. Oh, there's so, definitely a need for like signposting. I mean, we see that yeah. just in, just in a small, you know, in our area of cardiovascular health and cholesterol and things like that. Like you, you need to be led on the journey to understand what means what and what, what you know, the big so what of the whole thing. Yeah, completely. Um, uh, you know, we, we recently did something with menopause, actually. So a big right. focus to the menopause advice hub um, far exceeded our expectations in terms of the access that people came to and and also even things like uh we haven't done this yet but in my in my examples of things i keep saying we need to be getting on and doing is using videos to show people what like an mri is going to be like it can be quite scary some of these things for people coming into hospitals so we yeah. can use digital and content to i suppose supplement the physical experience i tell you what i mean i had an mri a head mri probably oh, yeah. nine <laughs> to ten months ago and um I wish someone had shown me what that was going to be like before I walked in because I was yeah. like when they when they when they put the the you know the the Louis the 15th man in the iron mask thing on my face I was like this is yeah I wish some I'm not claustrophobic at all but I got very very claustrophobic yeah. there for the first time completely I had one years ago I know, and the noise the sound of it yeah so like explaining that you know funny enough I've had surgery recently myself on my shoulder and my consultant said that he's been doing loads of research he's a professor about how the whole customer experience can make a massive difference to the clinical outcome. And yeah. so that, for me, would be a good example. Like, the more you can remove anxiety, fear, and unknown for people through using digital tools, techniques, capabilities, be it it was easy to book, 
easy to find a hospital, easy to park. Actually, you know, you spoke to me in the language that I wanted to be spoken in. There are yeah. 13 languages spoken in the UK, but we all right. speak mainly to our patients in English. So, yeah. again, one of our visions is if we use digital technology, then we can make it translatable for people. So all yeah. of that will make them feel like less anxious, which in turn should make their outcomes better. Yeah. Well, like one, we had a, there's a couple of people that have been on the show before. So there's this guy, there's a guy called Daffit Lochran who runs Concentric Health. And they're all about digitizing the consent piece of it because he was a surgeon previously, either a surgeon or a registrar, I can't remember which one. But basically his view was like, we rush around in the morning before surgery, just getting people to sign bits of paper. They don't really understand what's going on. And, and actually to that point, the more they understand, the better outcome will, will be. And there was another guy called Don Rabin, Rabin who um, founded Exploro, which is um, a digital VR type experience slash gaming experience for kids who are going to have um, yeah. do you know do you know dom and explorer no but i can imagine vr for kids would be so transformative yeah, because like so yeah. scary for them well he was like saying one of the kind of insights that they had was that um for because with an mri to get back to that if you move you've nixed the whole thing yeah basically so it was so hard for me as an adult not to move let alone for a, a you know a young adult or a child and just them being able to understand that means that then they don't have to repeat the um, re- repeat the session, right? So if you like MRI time is really expensive. So yeah. if the session gets cancelled and doesn't work, you've got to go back to the beginning again, which increases time and someone else's appointment gets you know pushed back and so forth. So yeah, um, no, I totally agree with all of that. That's super interesting. Yeah, we we also think digital can be used for connecting people to each other because again, there's research and definitely like you think about this in fitness, the reason people go to gym classes is because exercising with other people keeps them motivated keeps them going keeps them interested oh, but it's yeah. true also in supporting each other so um and actually we've been working with Carology on an app uh, which actually helps them support us uh, better support patients who have got cancer uh, okay. family friends clinicians all work together to provide the, the, the support so it's bringing people together um and making sure that or using digital to do that so it enables them to have a better outcome again and like presumably during the pandemic, that was rather hard. So what? What? Um, I might get told to go for my final commercial break. So we might have to come back to this in a second. <laughs> but um, what? What happened to? Because I know that you said that you got overflow from the NHS during yeah. the pandemic. But were the gym? The gyms were, they shut were shut as well. Yeah, they were shut. Um, Although yeah. some of the gyms were used for cancer patients, so we did actually okay. manage to. Yeah, but not all. Uh, but we did launch our twenty four seven app. That's. Probably, if we're going to an ad break, we can come back to it. But okay. definitely, was. I mean, this is a good example of development. So I wasn't here at the time, but we went. It's okay. You can still take credit for it. I, I'll take credit. <laughs> yeah, I'm we've been joking. given the wave. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah, let's come back. So look, let's go for the two-minute ad break, and then we'll come back with the final part of this week's Health Tech Hour with Amanda Lambert, Chief Customer Officer from Nuffield Health. The station that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at Alka-Cells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. Alka-Cells. 
Part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide, where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alka-Cells. Life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome to the final part of this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, and Amanda Lambert, the Chief Customer Officer of Nuffield Health. So before we went to the break, before we were urgently ushered into the commercial break by my producer, um, we were talking, we we're going to talk about your 24-7 app. Then let's talk a little bit about the pandemic. And then I want to use the last part of the show to talk about the work that you guys are doing in the community, particularly um, and reaching hard to reach patients, because I think that, again, that speaks to the role of you guys as a, an end to end healthcare provider, not just a private hospital kind of play. Right. You're actually trying to help people across that entire journey. Um, and and uh, well, to the extent that people listening know or don't know, but hard to reach patients are one of the kind of perennial problems that the NHS faces, which is a lot of the time the people that need the most help are the hardest to reach. Um, and it's extremely expensive to find them. And to get to them and actually anything that can help um on that process is 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 the nhs is really crying out for so anyway let's start with the 24 7 app and, and finish up with all the community stuff so i was claiming credit for the 24 7 app you can do it no one knows it's only like radio <laughs> well, i think no my team knows. might know but yeah. yeah so so prior to covid we didn't have a fitness a fitness app so okay. obviously our gym shop people can access them we knew people still wanted to keep fit and so in a, a really a rapid short space of time, the guys launched an app, which is our 24-7 app. Right. And it's basically like a virtual gym membership. So it's provided, obviously, to people who have physical gym memberships get it included. But for a much smaller charge, people can access it who aren't members. It provides content, workouts. You know, I know Peloton are obviously very well known for doing that kind of I thing. I mean, I've heard of Peloton, yeah. But they're quite expensive. Um, they so, are massively expensive. Like, yeah, and quite hugely expensive. Because you've got to have the equipment and the and, yeah. and the subscription. So yeah, this is a much more expensive. affordable way for people to access. And also when you're on the go. So if you're not actually in the gym, working yeah. out at home, working out while you're traveling, lots of workouts and content and general health and well-being advice on there. So... It's gone really well, actually. So it went well during COVID, but yeah. it's continued to go well since. We've actually now exceeded 100,000 members on it, which is that's pretty cool. impressive. That's yeah. great. Yeah, so that's really good, especially if they're paying. That's massive. Some of those like, are existing. Yeah, some well, yeah, no, but you know what I mean? Like, they're, 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 they are customers. They're not, they're that's not just like random. Yeah, exactly. They're beneficiaries, as we said earlier. Beneficiaries, so, rather. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. So we, we've got more plans for that, actually, because we think we can partner with some of those communities. So linking on to your, your next question. We, you know, so obviously there is an issue with access to digital technology, which I know from my, my previous life in mobile, but actually we do think that uh, digital is a way of getting to more people because there's the yeah. physical distance to sites, but there's also mm -hmm. people's, I suppose, nervousness about accessing health more being and affordability. So digital content we've already talked about, we think our 24-7 app could be used more to develop specific content for specific communities 
Have yeah, we started sure. to partner with organisations to do that? That's so we're in idea. early conversations with social housing charities as right. well to see how we can, yeah, how we can develop content that they can then get to their members and their community uh, to help reach those who we would never normally get to. That makes sense. And what um, let's talk a bit more about the community, the hard to reach sort of work that you guys have done. So how has that been going? So COVID rehab, we really talked a little bit about. So that that's probably been one of our big successes. Like I said, 4,000 people. Um, but more importantly, not just the number of people who've been through it, but actually mm-hmm. the benefits. So about 30% of people who went through that said that they saw a significant improvement in their health. So we know that we're not just reaching people who aren't our traditional paying members or paying right. customers. Um, a lot of those were people you would call, call living with low resources. So they're getting right. into the system, accessing those services and getting improved health outcomes. So that that's one area. And we've got a couple of those flagships I mentioned. We've also got a joint pain program. Um, but over the summer, we also started to talk about movement. So we, you said earlier, people don't tend to get unhealthy by going to the gym. There's lots of proof that movement in general is yeah. a really good way and good foundation for health and well-being. So over well, there's the a summer, reason why there's a reason why the Apple Watch tracks movement, right? Yeah, and, and actually, we all know it's not just necessarily. I know there's lots of stats on how much you should exercise a week, but it's actually getting moving is more important than anything else. And often exercise can sound quite intimidating to people. I yeah. think for a lot of people, it brings back memories of PE classes that some people Cross country enjoy. runs. Cross yeah. country runs in the snow. I loved a cross country run. Did you? <laughs> okay, I know well, I'm abnormal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say that's like going to be the general view of those. No, maybe, I mean, be. no, I like swimming in really cold water, so I'm also similar. You're also unusual. Yeah, yeah. But you, but you know, so for a lot of people, it's not a movement is more relatable than exercise. Um, yeah. But we also know, I think we've seen our Healthier Nation Index that we run, where we get some really good insights about what people are doing, and we realised that people weren't moving enough. Mm-hmm. So we did a few things over summer. We did the move five minutes a day, so like literally right. just small habits, create them. But we also recognised that young girls in particular in our research were less likely to exercise after they leave school. So they go through a oh. period where they stop exercising because they put okay. out the system. Um, right. And so we ran a Move Together programme that we got all of our fitness and wellbeing centres across the country to run that wasn't for members. It was out in the community, targeted mainly at teenage girls, and it was all about movement and getting them out there. And yeah. Doing stuff. Because I think you guys have an again. I don't, how many? So how many? Like, do you, you do you call your gyms health and wellbeing centres? Is that yeah, is that the, what you call them? Yeah, okay. the, there's 114 of them across the country that are consumer which facing. Is a, which is a also, lot. We also have probably another 100 um, services we provide to corporates as well. Some of those include right. on-site fitness areas. Because like 114 locations, and you already have those physical locations. There's like a huge amount, and you, you know, obviously there are some. Again, with this like idea of a blended model, the people that can pay and want to pay will pay, and then but you already have this location and being able to run classes and you know whether they're well, free of charge or however it works but just community related hard to reach things you know advice around life lifestyle well-being movement i think it's amazing you guys have such a yeah. fantastic position in in these communities right yeah you're completely right we that's completely we want to use the physical footprint in the community as our way of getting to access into those communities now it's, it's not it's not just as straightforward as it might sound having a physical presence because again most people probably know us then as a gym. Yeah, exactly. Um, so and they're also, and also, I know, I know. So, like, it's also. So, my, my my dad had a huge stroke when he was forty three, and um, I was in my my early teens, and he um, 
you know, and, and this is related to cardiovascular disease and um, undiagnosed cardiovascular disease is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about what we do at PogDoc, because I believe that access to testing, access to your cholesterol levels connected with your with working within healthcare provider pathways could have identified and enabled him to be treated, you know, before he had a stroke, obviously. Yeah. And um, but the, the point I was going to make was that he, he is really intimidated by gyms, has been since because of his, his frailties post-stroke that he wouldn't ever necessarily choose to go into a gym because there are lots of really, really fit people in the gym. So, yeah, it's, it is sensitive, right? Because you don't want to, it is hard, right? Because there are always going to be people, a lot of the time, people in the gym, generally, there's going to be people in there that are really quite fit. And like, if you're not in that frame of mind and you maybe are a little bit low on confidence, that can be pretty intimidating. Yeah. In fact, actually, we know we talked about, we like uh, one of our goals is to make things easier to access. That's not just the physical access and the digital technology, but one of my visions is that we make it somewhere you feel that you you can access. So yeah. you feel it's somewhere that it's okay to. And I would say it's not just intimidating because you might be frail, but, you know, people go in and say, I don't see people who look like me. You know, no, exactly. It exactly. means I don't feel like I belong. So yeah. we don't And that can be across. Be... Sorry, I'm sorry. I talked to you. Carry on. That's okay. We, we definitely want to be somewhere where people feel that they can come um, regardless of, of, you know, who they are, background and, and what they, they their attitude to exercise is. Yeah, I, th- I think that people like me is really interesting because that goes across all kinds of different things, right? Like w- people that are as fit as I am or unfit as I am, people that are yeah. the shape that I am, people that have the ethnic background that I am, the, the you know the the gender that I am, or so on and so forth. That that's a really that's a really hard one to crack. Yeah, but it's a good vision. So I think if you have yeah. something that says aim there, then as long as you're progressing towards it, you're making it yeah. better than it is today. Because I think that like there's obviously this kind of school of thought which is like suck it up and just get in there and do your work and <laughs> blah, blah, you know and like okay it's all well and good like you can be that way but the reality is is that there are so many people that that may want to do it if it's if it's accessible in a different way why wouldn't we strive to make it accessible for them yeah and as part of that accessibility might mean that it's not physically in our site so over sure. some of the move together campaign was actually the sites used their skills but they went out into the community and ran fitness right. like in the park for example yeah. so people didn't have to have that i've got to go to the gym um and it, isn't, it is intimidating like i know when i'm not in good shape i'm like less motivated to go to a gym yeah. when there's loads of people in good and shape like mirrors I'm just, everywhere. <laughs> yeah and it's like you know you just it, it but that a lot of the gyms are kind of set up that way like it's and that that's not necessarily going to work for a lot of People. Well, it's not going to work if you want to build a healthier nation, which is our purpose, then we've got to make sure that we can appeal to a broad audience. And if they don't want to come in, then it's also about how we use activities to go out. And that requires partnering. So we've been doing a lot of work partnering up in Manchester, some good success. We took on the Manchester Institute of Health Performance, which is, in theory, in the Leap Performance Centre. It's where all the footballers go to have all of their okay. tests. But we've used it. It's right next to Side. So we've used okay. it as a community hub and we run community outreach programs from there. And we're getting some really good successes of partnering with um, different other charities and bodies that we can then get our services out to people who we would never normally reach. That makes so much sense. Again, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why one of the, the, the visions of, of, of what we do at PogTalk, which is like, instead of trying to get people to go to a gp center to have a blood test done why don't you try and work out a way that they can do it at home or they can do it in a community center like let's 
we've tried the bit about getting everyone to go to a GP surgery and there will be people that go, but there's millions of people that don't and don't want to, and they still would benefit from having those tests done. And that's, that's how we feel. And how do you find like the technology access though? Because of course that is another potential yeah. area, isn't it? So, so it's really interesting actually. So um, we, we um, we've got a number of different partnerships um, that we've, we're working on with the NHS. One is with Novartis and Chelsea and Westminster, and there's a number of others. And, and one of them is involving, um, a primary care network in the northwest and a, an academic health science network in the northeast and the kind of the premise is you can increase access to increasing access to lipid testing will identify more people who are undiagnosed cardiovascular disease it will allow them to get treated you'll have better health outcomes and it will also allow you to find and target and test hard to reach groups that otherwise we're not testing so they're kind of like a zero in terms of being tested and um we, we we've we've we're, we're in discussions i can't you know say too much but but it's very exciting and and one of the pushbacks ironically that we had from uh, an, an nhs professor um was was exactly that he said well your your test is an at-home test and it, and it involves a mobile phone and you know that's that's not going to work for people and i said well actually we're taking a blended approach which is that we have networks of pharmacies we have high street retailers we have community centers and um, and if and actually even gps the, the fact that it's a lateral flow that provides a quantitative result with the results on a smartphone or tablet and it automatically syncs back up to wherever it needs to get synced up to that can either be done that can be done anywhere but but by doing it that way it means it can definitely be taken outside of the surgery which means whether it's at home for the people that want to do it at home or if you want to walk to your local coffee shop or if you want to walk to your community center or your pharmacy or wherever we've built up this network of locations i think it'd be really interesting to see if there's some to talk about yeah. the community outreach stuff that you're doing to provide that alongside. And the, the and, and so this blended model makes sense. And that's how we're addressing that. Because again, one size doesn't fit all. What matters is the goal, which is how do you test as many people as possible? That's our goal anyway. And yeah. so um, there will be people that self-select and want to do it themselves, but there'll be a whole bunch of other people that would prefer not to. And actually you have to cater for them because if you can't, you kind of like, what are you even doing it for? Yeah, so basically you're similar to us and you're using technology is the enabler but it doesn't yeah. mean it's the sole solution no. you're actually taking that technology exactly. and a, taking it out it, to where about people the outcome. are yeah it's about the outcome right which is like cardiovascular disease single biggest killer in the uk the single biggest gating factor to getting treated is a five marker lipid panel yeah like the single biggest gating factor at the moment and there's a huge backlog and so we're trying to solve for that which is and we believe that we've developed a way to deliver a step change increase in access but it's not tied to have to do it at home. Like you can do whatever you want. The idea is you get the results in six minutes and that means that person can be then triaged however you want them to be triaged. So yeah, we're, we're, we feel very similar, which is technology is an enabler to solving these major problems. Obviously we come at it from a testing diagnostic kind of access perspective, but it's a similar type of thing. And I think that that's what I've always felt strongly about technology wherever I've been is that technology is an enabler to solving a problem. It's not the solution in and of itself. There has yeah. to be a problem that you're solving with it. It isn't just the solution in of itself. And there's so many examples of stuff that gets spun out of academia where like they haven't thought about the customer and they haven't thought about the problem. They've got really kind of cool and interesting technology, but like it doesn't yeah. really solve no the one to take problem. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I in diagnostics, that... you get a lot of loads of spin outs, which is like I've made the most amazing, complicated testing box Right. But it's like three thousand pounds for the testing box and it's like 50 quid for a test that. Well, 
I don't know how that's going to scale, but yeah. you know, it's a great box. Yeah, no, completely. It's funny because within my old organization, I work quite closely with Google and they are all about using tech to solve problems. They start yeah. with what the problem is. Solving exactly. what problems using technology is what they're all about. Well, it goes back to the user requirements, right? And the user stories. If you can't draft a user requirement or a set of user requirements or user stories, then you're probably taking a technology first approach as opposed to a customer first approach or beneficiary yeah. first approach, I would argue. Yeah, I completely agree. Sounds like there's lots of similarities then in the way your ethos of making things easier to access as well and, and whatever way I, you can do that. I think access to healthcare, I mean, there's I mean, there's obviously lots of problems with healthcare, but access, solving access or, or contributing positively to improving access is, is a hugely noble and important task. Yeah. Where, whichever aspect, wherever you come in, in, in at it, you know, because it goes across everything. It goes across every socioeconomic strata in the country. And we know that if people have access, better access to health healthcare, they have better health outcomes, they have better lives, they produce more, they're more valuable members of society, they're happier, you know, like yeah. it, it's just a massive virtual circle. It's also so multifaceted that we've talked a lot about the word access. And like I said, it's as simple as making it easy for me to contact you to do it. Exactly. It's giving me actual access to the healthcare. Yeah. But like we said, it's making it feel accessible. Yes. So I feel like I have a right to access it, I feel like I belong there. It's quite a, yeah, it's one word. It's hard. Because, yeah, because like older people, like my parents are like this. My it, Yeah, I know my, my producer saying we've got two minutes to go, so I'll do this quickly. <laughs> but my, my, my parents are like, well, I don't want to bother the GP. I'm like, well, that's the problem of access, right? It's like, at what point do you feel what's going on with you is bad enough that you quote want to bother the doctor, right? Yeah, it's a, that's a societal thing, though, isn't it? From the, the generation they they grew up with. Although I, my parents have got to the point where I think they're on first name terms with their GP, so they're definitely <laughs> moved to the other end of the extreme yeah. now. To the yeah. point when she comes in surgery, she doesn't even get the uh, the she just comes out and waves at them because they she knows them so well. Um, and I really love the work that she's done for them because she has spotted lots of things early on by keeping a, an eye on and doing lots yeah. of tests on them. So it yeah. proves that it works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thank you very much, Amanda, for coming on the show. Amanda Lambert, Chief Customer Officer for Nuffield Health. If people want to find out more about what Nuffield are doing, where do they go? Your website? Uh, Nuffieldhealth.com, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, thank you to everyone for listening. Much appreciated. And we will be back again um, in a couple of weeks with another live show. But check if you didn't. Yeah, check check out this show if you want to listen to it again on Spotify or, or YouTube. But anyway, thank you very much for listening. Thank we'll you see you again next week. Thanks. Oh.